You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 63, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 18-week streak of being late for the podcast, Mr. 8-year streak without a bad day. What? You might know him as Benjamin Solak, and you should because that's his name. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother? I'm not late for the podcast. This is heresy. <laughs> Number one, I was early today. Not on time, early. Number two, as we've discussed, the podcast is a, is a fluid and movable thing <laughs> where a rigid time structure just does not make any sense because we're going to talk before the show anyway. It's not like either of us are on time crunches here. We make our own schedules. This is some nonsense. Is that, that see, that's a one-way street with the way that you see it because I'm a very strict person when it comes to time, Ben, and I, I would appreciate you respecting your best buddy, Mike, because we're friends and that's what friends do for each other, right? Well, we, we will talk about doing this thing at 8. At 7.58, I will have a phone call. And then at freaking 8.02, I will show up and Mike will give me smack about it. And I just, I can't, it is a fluid process. We are. Ben can't even look at me. Ben's scrolling through Twitter. He doesn't even have the respect to show me, to I'm look at me and talk to me like a man. I'm offensive lineman with the number 63 so I can uh, mark down the podcast as exciting. But Ben Narek was 60. I thought Runyon might have been 63, but no, he was 69. Yeah. Was Danny Watkins 63? I think he was 62. Watkins was 63. Welcome to the Danny Watkins episode of the Kiss and Zolak show. Highly It's already starting like the Danny Watkins pod, I'll tell you that much. Maybe we should have known that going into it. I got to look these yeah. things up before we start. Very indicative that we're, this is the Danny Watkins episode and the power went out in my uh, office, my recording studio, much like Danny Watkins did not have any power as an offensive lineman and failed. Every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. <laughs> there it is. Boom. Now we can start the show. Ben, of course, today is going to be the big preview of the Bears offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Before that, we have a couple of topics that we want to hit in on before we hit on that main topic. The first one, Alshon Jeffrey is returning to Chicago to play the Bears, and he had some uh, some great quotes concerning that. Number one, he says, quote, I love the city of Philadelphia. 
Chicago was just when I was there for work. Mm. Throwing shade on Chicago. All right. I don't know how you don't like Chicago while you're there. Chicago is pretty nice, but Philly, you know, that takes the cake. Uh, the other thing you said, no disrespect to our home crowd in Philly, but I love away games. I love hearing the other team at the beginning of the game, but they're quiet at the end. Jeffrey's talking some smack, man. This This feels like an Alshon Jeffrey game. I remember you had that prediction that, what was it, week 16 against the Texans, that Alshon Jeffrey was going to have the most yards of the season for him. Do you feel like this is, maybe this is the game for him where he really breaks out? I mean, for me, well, firstly, wait, did you see Alshon roll it back via Ian Rappaport? No, what do you say? Oh, come on. So, Rappaport put this on an hour ago. He said, texting with Alshon and Jeffrey about this, which, okay, weird flex, but okay. Like, oh, <laughs> you text with Alshon and Jeffrey? No, like, no, duh, like, you're Ian Rappaport. Like, oh, I'm right. texting with Alshon about this. You must be cool, Ian. He said he loves the city of Chicago and means no disrespect. He was talking about the rough environment that led to a coach slash GM firing. He did love his first two years, quote, but I love Philly with the work environment, and we won the Super Bowl. So. Number one, I don't think you'd call it your place of, that was just a place where I worked. Right. When the issue you're alluding to is how unpleasant the workplace was. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And number two, like, let's not mess around here. Your career started in Chicago. That's great. But they didn't give you a second contract. Philadelphia signed you to a one-year deal and then gave you the second contract and you won a Super Bowl here. So I think it's very, like, you don't have to roll that back. I think it's very fine for you to be like, Philly's my city. Philly's the city where I won the championship. Philly's the city where I made the money. Whatever. That being said, I don't know well what to expect for Alshon Jeffrey in terms of this game coming forward, but I do immediately think of the Nick Foles quote from the presser today. Really liked the quote, Mike, where he said, what what impresses you the most about the, the defense for the Chicago Bears? And he said the way that they can handle route combinations and have mm. route recognition with their eyes on the quarterback allows the defense to be very fluid in the defensive backfield. A lot of guys back there who can do multiple things well. And so what that illustrates to me is Philadelphia has their zone beaters. They love their zone beaters. But if you're going to beat the Chicago Bears, you're going to need to be able to win your man-on-man matchups. And what do we always say? Alshon Jeffrey's the best man-beating receiver, tight end or wide out. Yes, I absolutely think it's going to be a big game for Alshon heading back to Chicago, the team where he did have a negative experience with the quarterback. He did have a negative experience with the coach. Uh, and then also, you know, the, the place where he was not able to be signed for a, a second contract. Also love what he said about Soldier Field's turf sucking because it does. Yeah. So yeah, shout out terrible. to him just being very frank about that. I mean, I'm surprised that he wasn't more upset about the all 22 angle that they have because that thing. I refused to watch any of their all. I watched uh, Vikings game from the seven, uh, week 17. I watched the 49ers game from week 16, and then I went all the way back to the next away game that Mitchell Trubisky played so that I would not have to freaking watch anything from the All-22 of Soldier Field, which was Buffalo in week 9. I don't care. I'm not watching any of that the, the recent games in Soldier Field. I can't, I can't tell what's going on. <laughs> the broadcast angle is literally better than the All-22 angle. The only advantage you have is you get the end zone angle, which is like super clear and in a great spot, which is totally weird from where the other spot from the side angle is. It's a pain, dude. Like... Uh, less than a week nope. from now, we're going to have to watch that nonsense from that godforsaken camera. But that's one thing that I'm. But dreading. it's fine because we'll have our Eagle Saints to be previewing at the time anyway, so right. that it won't be a focus of ours. Yeah, the Saints have a good all twenty-two camera for sure. Look, Ben, let's get to this injury report so we can start moving things along towards the preview. This is an estimated injury report because they had a walkthrough on Wednesday. We're recording. On Wednesday night, about 40 minutes later than I told Ben we were going to record. I swear down the power went out, Michael Kist. I will pop you in the face. 
Oh, you're gonna get I'm your sitting chance. in the dark. I'm like texting Mike. I'm like, this is awful. I'm so sorry. And Mike's just thinking about all the ways he's gonna shade me online and on the on air because that's all he does. No remorse, just spite. That's how I work. The players that were limited in practice: Fletcher Cox for the Eagles, Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters. I wouldn't worry about any three of those. That's an ongoing thing, especially later on in the season. Uh, other guys that were limited, Isaac Ciamalo, now that's a thing, but Steven Wisniewski's been playing well since getting his spot back. Also, uh, Mike Wallace was limited, doesn't look like, and from what I can tell from what Doug was saying on Monday, it doesn't look too hopeful on the Wallace side of things, but of course, we're going to be learning more about that as the week goes on. As far as the rest of it goes, four players did not practice on Wednesday. Carson Wentz, obviously. Michael Bennett, again, a reoccurring thing with him. He's up there in age. They're giving him rest. They've been doing it for weeks now. Makes a ton of sense. He hasn't missed any time. Sidney Jones, probably not going to be available for this game. Also, a special teamer linebacker, DJ Alexander, likely will not be available for this game as well. And let's see here. Who else? Nick Foles was limited participation with the ribs. He says he feels a lot better than he did a few days ago. So that is a good sign. For the Chicago Bears, the injury report there, Eddie Jackson, the safety, did not participate again with the ankle. If he is Mm -hmm. out, we're going to talk about that tomorrow in the preview show for the Bears defense. That could be a big blow be to that huge. defense. Yeah. It's the best player. On, it's the best player not named Mack on the defense. Right. And he's a big time playmaker and he's uh, responsible for a lot of their turnovers, which is, I think they lead the league in turnovers off points or points off turnovers or whatever the metric is. But we'll get into that. Uh, the other guy that did not participate outside linebacker, Aaron Lynch with an elbow, full participation. And this is interesting. The three wide receivers, Taylor Gabriel with the ribs, Allen Robinson with the ribs, and wide receiver Anthony Miller with the shoulder. We'll talk about that in a second. Offensive guard Kyle Long was full participation dealing with that foot. He's going to be back this week. Anthony Miller is an interesting one because if you saw the game with the Vikings, and I know a lot of us did because we were tracking it, watching the Eagles game, trying to figure out if we were going to be in or not. You saw Miller go down. His shoulder was hanging. Apparently, this is an injury that he has had throughout the season. He has a brace on his shoulder to keep everything in place. That brace was loose or got knocked loose or something to that effect. And I guess his shoulder popped out or or something similar, something As bad. shoulders do. As you know, shoulders like, do. <laughs> I remember the first time my shoulder brace got loose and my <laughs> shoulder popped out because that's what happens in my life. And I was a full participant in practice a couple days later as well. That's just the way these things go, Mike, when you're a real war at grinding the film and tippy typing away on twitter your shoulder pops out. you gotta pop it back in and grit it out that's just the way the kids do it let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show which is going to be the preview of the philadelphia eagles offense which is going to be the preview had to happen at least once Can't do a preview show where you don't flip around with units we're doing. I told Ben before the show, I'm like, all right, I just, I got to say this. I got to say it out loud once before we do the show because I know I'm going to screw it up. All right, so we're resetting here. I'm going to leave that in the show for the gentle listeners. Today, we are going to preview the Chicago Bears offense against the Philadelphia Eagles. Defense nailed it first take as always. Now, Ben, just looking at what this offense is, you're going to see... A lot, of, and this will look very familiar to us Eagles fans, a lot of the three-by-one shotgun sets that the Eagles like to run, they're out of the gun over 70% of the time. They're using a lot of RPOs. They want to set you up with the short stuff and then take shots with four verts and scissors concepts later. But this offense mm-hmm. goes as far as Matt Nagy can carry Mitch Trubisky. And that's, dude, that's such a good way of putting that. That's perfect. He's got to be in tune 
with Trubisky and get him out of the funks with his play calling when he sees that his quarterback is struggling. He does a very good job about this. And we talked about this before, or at least I did on the QB Sco show today with Mark Schofield. We talked a lot about Trubisky, his strengths, his weaknesses, his technical flaws, what he does well, like eye manipulation when it comes to holding safeties on vertical concepts. We covered a lot in a short time, but again, so make sure you go back and listen to that show. But if the Bears are going to have success, it's going to have to be Trubisky with a steady game. And we've never experienced playoff Trubisky before. So do we get the three interception Trubisky like we got against the Rams in primetime? Or do we get the guy that's third in quarterback rating over the last three weeks? In what could be a low-scoring game for both sides, the quarterback play is likely the deciding factor in this thing overall, Ben. Yeah, and it's very interesting. Actually, because Trubisky missed that that time, week 12, week 13, right? He's actually won his last eight starts. They are 8-0 and in Trubisky's last eight starts, which they started off the season 3-3 three and three under Trubisky, which obviously quarterback wins is not actually a thing, but it's just the fact that offensively as a team. Should they bench Trubisky for Trubisky? Should they trade Trubisky so they can sign Trubisky and bring him back? Okay, <laughs> stop saying the things you said out loud. <laughs> but what we're looking at, they they went 8-0 with a guy who was averaging 203 passing yards a game, mm. averaging per uh, 7.3 yards per attempt, averaging 1.4 touchdowns, 0.8 interceptions, 11 total touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He's not throwing up stellar numbers at all, and they're 8-0, and it simply goes down to the fact that I think Matt Nagy's willingness to take exactly what the defense is giving him every single time mm. is huge for Trubisky. And I have a I have a theory, Mike. I have a suspicion. And this is unconfirmed. But I think maybe, just maybe, Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson might have been coaching on the same staff at one point. <laughs> or maybe might be coming from the same offensive tree because Jiminy Christmas. Yeah. These offenses look so similar. Schwartz had the press conference and he said, it's a bit of the Chiefs. It's a bit of the Rams. And I think I heard uh, Shil Kapadia say it the other day, it's a bit of the Eagles too. It's it's a mix of all those things. It's comfortably the Eagles. And I'll say, here's what I think is the most similar when you look at the body of work for Doug Peterson over the past two seasons with the body of work for Matt Nagy over one season. I'm going to package plays together. Yep. And if you're going to give me something, I'm not going to get cute. I'm going to take it every single time. And what, what, uh, what do I talk about with that? Well, number one, uh, and we say this a lot in the podcast, the Philadelphia Eagles run a weak side offense. I don't really know if that's a thing that's a word. It's just the term I've coined for it. But they run a weak side offense. Why do I say that? Because they are constantly targeting the weak side of the passing strength. They are not often targeting the strong area. So if you've got three receivers to one side and two to another, well, typically you have four defenders over the three receiver side and three over the two defender side. There's simply more space in the three over two side. And so that's where Trubisky is constantly sending the football, Mike. And it's slant flat. It's curl flat. It's smash. It's double slants. It's nothing. It is insanely basic, quick breaking concepts. And I'll tell you something right now. If you play off coverage, over the slot or over the extended tight end. Right. Trubisky will throw it to him four yep. or five yards for four quarters, and you will slowly and painfully die, right? It's the fact that they're constantly running bubble screens out when they've got man coverage. They're yep. so frequently running quick rub concepts and slant flat whenever they know they've got man coverage to the weak side. If they have off coverage in the outside right receiver, it's a five-yard hitch. If Trey Burton does not have a corner over him at the snap, like if you're clearly playing zone over him, he will run five yards downfield, stop, turn around, and the ball will be there constantly. They just alert to it. So this, that's what makes the offense college is because if you're just going to give them space – 
they are, they're just going to take it. They're going to pick up six yards. They're going to stay ahead of the sticks. They don't care. The interesting part about that is, and I know both me and you have, have read this book by Cody Alexander, and he runs a, a website called matchquarters.com. One of the principles, and this goes directly to what you were saying, there are five principles for defending RPOs. The first one is the one that you alluded to. Number one, eliminate as many RPOs as possible by alignment. The way you can do that is with press. The other way you can do that is with the way that you defend the Y-ISO and also bring your safety down in the running game to also help the linebackers cover that slot alignment from the other side. So one of, one of the ideas, you, you talk about you know having that bubble guy, right? They'll come out in trips, and we number the wide receivers from outside to in. So one is on the outside, two is in the middle, three is closer to the line. That number three is going to be their bubble guy. You want to come down. You want to press that guy. You want to be at the line of scrimmage for him, and that gives you an advantage. They're not going to go there. You make the decision for them. You tell them pre-snap where you want the ball to go. Now, to help against that Y-ISO, that backside, that we see it all the time with the Eagles. They'll put Jeffrey out there. They'll put Ertz out there, and everything else is to the other side of the formation. This is exact same thing as the Bears do, so nothing here different conceptually from what the Eagles do. Yes. But like you said, if they get off coverage with Burton, they'll run the speed out. They'll run the curl, and they'll start setting you up, and they'll start setting you up and bring you in, and then they'll try to take a shot later on. What you can do on that side is you can bring your safety down to help and run support along that gap, right? He's got that – that's that cheat where he can get that C gap and run support, helps your edge widen too. But then you also have inside support for those quick hitters against Burton, against Allen Robinson, who they like to put out there. So a lot of this game is going to be on the Eagles to take away – some of the RPO stuff. You can't take everything away, but if you play it by the triple option rules, you can decide pre and post snap right. who you want to have the ball. And in my case, I want Trubisky making all the decisions. So I'm trying to take away the swing screen. I'm trying to take away the bubble screen. I'm trying to take away the quick pop passes and slants. That's what I'm focused on. Right. And 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 I'll tell you this right now. We're talking about taking away the RPO and, and spinning safeties down onto the weak side. You can't do that from a middle field closed. Correct. You can't do that from cover three yeah. because the safety is already down in the box, right? And another thing you'll notice, and this is uh, very similar to Doug Peterson's Philadelphia Eagles. If it's a pass play, there was pre-snap motion four out of five times, three out of four times, right? Like a ridiculous number. He's constantly, Nagy is just little cross motion, little zoom motion, nothing that matters, nothing that's hugely important. Occasionally, it's like orbit motion or jet motion. We're going across the formation. We're flipping play strength, whatever. But so often, it's just like, all right, move the running back from one side to the other side, boop, right? And just that alone is going to give you keys in terms of what sort of coverage you're getting, but also motion like that, especially motion across the ball. You talk about jet motion and orbit motion. Jet motion is in front of the quarterback and shotgun. Orbit motion goes behind the quarterback and shotgun. Those two motions often flip your passing strength, and when they do, they require that you realign your safeties. And yeah. often they put you into check coverages, and now that you're in check coverages, you're screwed because you can't adjust when they're going to run little swing screens. So if you try to sit in cover three, and you're giving eight yards off the ball like Schwartz likes to do the outside receivers... They'll hit you to death. They will hit you to death. And, you and can't, it's not you can't and it's it. not like the Rams because you could play the Rams off because they want to run those immediate to deep routes. Right. And, and they have a lot of the same motion concepts. The Bears are a little different in that regard. Honestly, that's why I don't super love the idea that like, oh, there's a little bit of the Rams offense to it. There's a little bit of the Rams offense to it in the running game. But right. in the passing game, the Rams want to tighten you up with tight splits, force you into cover three, and then manipulate you into the intermediate areas. 
Remember, Mark Herslick is the offensive coordinator for this Bears team. And what does that mean? Well, it's actually very funny because the Philadelphia Eagles, like I, I said in the, the last podcast, have been borrowing from Chip Kelly ideas. Well, Mark was the uh, was the offensive coordinator who replaced Chip Kelly when he left, Mark Helfrick was. And so right. you have Chip Kelly ideas very much so in terms of how the offense is aligned pre-snap to spread. That's where I think you see the most Oregon Chip Kelly stuff. When they go Trey Wright and they've got like one backside receiver and three receivers to the right, they're not bunching anything up. There's no reduced splits. That's very Philadelphia Eagles. That's very Los Angeles Rams. No, they do the Chiefs thing. They're getting as much distance between those guys as possible. Hey, if that gets you stuck in man coverage, guess what? Taylor Gabriel is very fast and Allen Robinson is very big and Trey Burton is really good for a tight end and Anthony Miller is a really good route runner. It's a problem. Yeah, they all have trump cards. Right, which is why... Sidney Jones not being healthy is huge because if they're going to go 11 and they can even go 10 if they want to, they got Javon Wims and Kevin White. Those are not bad bad, uh, fourth and fifth wide receivers. If they want to go 11 or if they want to go 10 personnel, three, four wide receiver sets, well, you're going to either have to leave Rasul on an island, Avante Maddox on an island, Cravon LeBlanc on an island, and then, yeah, Josh Hawkins (laughs) on an island, Malcolm Jenkins over a slot receiver or a tight end on an island, or... Now you're forced into a uh, uh, into a tray check, into a trips check in your cover three, which is typically going to be something like Mabel, or it's going to be something like uh, buzz. cover three buzz. And yeah. in that situation, Trubisky's going to eat you alive. Right. Trubisky is a fantastic passer against zone. Against man, he is not great. Yeah, and and it's funny because I went into next gen stats. A, expecting to find his aggressiveness rating, his throwing into tight windows, very, very low. It's actually quite high. He's top 10 in the league. He's got like around like a 22% aggressiveness rating. I really think that number is inflated by how often he's throwing in between just short windows on little curl concepts, on little stop concepts. Yeah. In terms of his ability to hit faith throws, one-on-one man coverage, if he's even, he's leaving, throw him to the leverage side, those sort of highly developed throws. I don't think it's there. When you look at a lot of Trubisky's sacks, a lot of the times it's not because there was immediate pressure. This Bears offensive line is pretty good pass protection-wise. But it's because he had the ability to take a one-on-one man coverage shot deep, which good modern defenses are designed to take away everything but the one-on-one deep shot. Mm. They're, they're designed to make you take the 50-50 ball very far down the field. That's a low percentage throw. When Trubisky has that throw as his best option, he very often eats the football and he either escapes and makes something happen, good, or he takes a sack, bad. And so I don't like his ability to make faith man throws, but is Philadelphia going to be able to match up against the heavy spread sets with their secondary? Yeah, secondary's been playing better, uh, but this is going to be a huge test. In terms of Miller, Gabriel, Robinson all being healthy, you can't cover those three guys with Rasul and Avante Maddox. You're going to need a third player, and namely Cravon LeBlanc. To have a very strong game. So you know what will push up your aggressiveness percentage is throwing turnover-worthy throws. Where Mitchell Trubisky, as I think of a few weeks ago at the very least, is the last I could find that they tweeted out. But Mitchell Trubisky, top five in frequency for turnover-worthy throws. No dropped interceptions is going to be key for the Eagles in this game. And that's part of why I was really glowing about Rasul Douglas's ball skills coming into this game after the Redskins game, because we're going to need those interceptions from him. He is going to give you, Trubisky is, some opportunities to make some plays. The Eagles have to take advantage of it. Now, Ben, I'll tell you, the guy that I am most worried about on this Bears offense. Tariq Cohen. Yeah, it's the tiniest guy on the field. It's Darren Sproles Jr. <laughs> Easy. 
So the bear is used Tariq Cohen in such a multitude of ways. He leads the team in scrimmage yards. He has a higher yards per carry average than Jordan Howard. Second on the team in touchdowns with eight. He's third on the team in targets in the passing game. There is a downside. He's got seven fumbles, which also leads the team. So he's not without flaws. And there is another opportunity there for the Eagles to get some turnovers. But Ben, look at his contributions in the passing game. Cohen leads all running backs in yards per route run with 2.37. He runs 18.9% of his routes from the slot. That's fourth in the league. Targeted 29% of the time from the slot. That's seventh in the league. 3.19 yards per route run from a slot alignment. That's second among running backs who spend a significant amount of time in the slot. When he's in, the offense sees an uptick in every meaningful statistical category. Run success rate, pass success rate, explosive run, explosive pass frequency, yards per carry, yards per attempt. This is a better offense when he is on the field. Now, one way they like to use him is in 21 personnel, where it's both he and and Jordan Howard on the field. They'll use mm. travel motion, right? They'll they'll get him out to the passing strength. They'll have him run those swing screens where he's got two blockers in front. But beyond just like X's and O's of it, looking at his numbers, the Bears run 21 personnel about 12% of the time, which isn't a whole lot, but it is trending up. And they have the highest success rate passing from this set because of Cohen. It's also their highest yards per attempt and QB rating personnel set. Now, we know this matchup with Cohen is big, and we can talk about it, but I wanted to isolate this specific personnel group because it kind of reminds me of last year's Super Bowl matchup with the Patriots because we knew how much the Patriots ran 21 personnel. They did it almost 30% of the time last year. Oh, man, that's a good poll. That's a good poll. I forgot about that. Yeah, and it's because of the way that they used James White. We had no idea how the Eagles were going to respond to it or if they could respond to it because they didn't see it throughout the season. It's the same thing with 21 personnel this year with the Bears. James White ended up not hurting us in the passing game in the Super Bowl. But as much as I like White, I am also not going to treat him as the same as I would treat Cohen, who runs his 40 time a second and a half faster. So he's a dynamic dude. And what we see in the first 15 plays is going to tell us a whole lot about how Schwartz will allocate his resources in defending him because the Bears are definitely going to move him around to feel things out and see what they can get early in this game. And moving him around to see what they get is huge because they use Cohen to tip off coverage yep. without motion, especially when they go hurry up, which mm-hmm. is very simple. Take Tariq Cohen, line him <laughs> up as the outermost wide receiver, which we're talking about like a 5'6 dude right now who's technically a running back. <laughs> and lining him as the outermost wide receiver in like empty sets, yeah. in the like three by one sets. If they see that they have a corner over him, well, they're pretty much keying on zone. And if they see that they have a linebacker or a safety on him, they're pretty much keying man. on man, right? right? And that's the way, that's the fantastic way to key on coverage using your personnel. And Mike, what, we talk about 12 personnel being valuable for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, why is it valuable? Because it's something that modern defenses aren't built to handle. Hmm. You got 20 personnel in there, Mike. They're running outside zone with a lead blocker. They're running <laughs> arc, reads, arc read zone read with Trubisky potentially keeping the ball. Trubisky's a great runner with the football. He regularly pulls the ball in zone read. You've got three potential guys who can keep the ball and run when you're there. It's very difficult to set a running strength against that. So you need both of your defensive ends to be incredibly sound and then Mike if your corners cannot come up and set an edge against the run in 20 personnel you are screwed they with constant end arounds constant jet sweeps and then constant like you said those swing passes where Tariq Cohen will be in the backfield motion out behind two wide receivers and then they'll just throw him a backwards pass these are all constraint plays into the boundary, constraint plays into the sideline. Did you see the 49ers game where they had him do that? But then it was also part of a read option 
And then he, if Trubisky ran yeah. out and threw it back? <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can throw a bajillion wrinkles. And again, this is all very college inspired stuff. But what this allows, we talk about constraint plays. What is a constraint play? The classic constraint play is the bubble screen. It's the right. best example of a constraint play. Every running play from shotgun they have has a bubble screen tagged on it. Literally every right. one. I mean, they have, they, I'm pretty sure they have screen option plays where Trubisky can throw either screen he wants to. They'll run like a yeah. play side slip screen and then a bubble screen to the other side. He has either one, which is crazy. But classic constraint play. What is a constraint play? A constraint play basically forces the defense to respect the threat of a play so that they have to respect the motion and the formation that's associated with it. A bubble screen, three wide receivers out to the side. Well, ideally, you'd like to be able to play that with like one corner down on the line as a point man and the other two up off the line so they have the ability to read and react to route breaks, to switch releases, etc. But when you throw the bubble screen against that one corner who's down, well, you're able to pick up four or five yards a lot of time because you have so much space there. And so that bubble screen acts as a constraint play because you're throwing it, because it's threatening, even if it's not super productive, the defense has to flow very hard down into bubble screen looks because they know you'll potentially do it. So now you can predict a defense's movement. And anytime a defense becomes predictable, it becomes weak. And so a lot of that Tariq Cohen action out of the backfield is constraint play style stuff. But Mike, I want to play a guessing game with Tariq Cohen because you made me play a guessing game yesterday. So guessing game is for you today. Let's go. How many routes has Tariq Cohen ran this year? 200. How many handoffs has Tariq Cohen taken this year? 70. He has taken 100 handoffs. He has run 325 routes. Goodness. Mike, Goodness. three times as many routes run as, as, as handoffs he's taken. To he's me, a slot wide you, are, you are, that's exactly, that's it, right? <laughs> I made this exact same argument with Zachary. It's like four weeks ago. So wide receiver <laughs> is a super tiny wide receiver who wears 29 and lines up in the backfield sometimes. And if you want to look at it a different way, Cohen is aligned in the backfield for 321 snaps this season, but in the slot, it's 103, and even outside, it's 66. That's a combined 169. So that's more than 50%. So he's in a wide receiver alignment more than one out of every three snaps for this team. So sure, I mean, running back by alignment, but by usage, yeah, it's a wide receiver. It's a wide receiver, and you have to treat him as such in 20 personnel, in 11 personnel when he's on the field. You've got to be in dime. Yeah. And if you're in dime right now for Philadelphia, that means one of two things. Corey Graham and Trey Sullivan are on the field at the same time. Or Corey Graham and corner four, whoever the heck that is. No, it's bad because they're going to come out. They're going to put Cohen in the slot. Are you going to put right. a linebacker on him? You'd be out of your mind. They'll run switch vertical with, on you to death. <laughs> exactly. And and so, right. So if you're going to try to stay in a smaller package, nickel or base, you, you're you forced to run zone. And if you're forced to run zone, I'm telling you, Trubisky will end the game with 25 completions <laughs> on 30 attempts with an average depth of target of two, and yep. you'll lose 20 yep. to 13, right? And this is not going to be a high scoring offense, but it's going to be a ball control, high percentage throw offense. You need to be able to force Trubisky into man coverage throws so that he will make mistakes that he has to push the ball down the field so that you can pick the football off. You have to force him to try to read safeties down the field. In order to do so, you have to press the line of scrimmage and play man coverage. Exactly what Philadelphia does not want to have to do. Right. So rocking a hard place right now. The solution, I think, is pressure. Solution's always pressure, especially when it comes to Philadelphia's defense. <laughs> and I think they can get it. Mike, I don't know what you saw as the weakest part of this offensive line here for Philadelphia, for Chicago, but I think it's going to be left tackle Charles Lena. 
And yep. then obviously uh, the left guard position is going to have a rookie in place, James Daniels. And what you're seeing there is Daniels is playing quite well out of Iowa. I like him as a player. He has some functional power issues that let you bull rush him. I think Fletcher Cox will be able to get a lot out of him. And that's number one. Number two, we've been talking a lot on the podcast about levels when it comes to stunts and it comes to multi-rush rushers. Staying on the appropriate level with your tackle and your guard and, and how they're aligned, how they're juxtaposed with one another so as to not allow alleyways to develop against stunts is something Daniels really, really struggles with. Daniels struggles to maintain the, the correct alignment next to his left tackle and Charles Leno. Crasher can be a big problem because Daniels, like I said, doesn't have functional power and often gives up that inside alley. And then whoever Leno ends up being responsible for generally can outquick him and generate some pressure. I think the left side of the line is weak. That's going to be your Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox side of the line typically, which is great news for Philadelphia. You're going to have to be effective from there. Also, Michael Bennett is really good at running stunts, and that can kind of muddy the post-snap reads for Mitchell Trubisky when it comes to that option game. So I would definitely love to see some of that. Ben, speaking of the trenches, this is where the game has got to be won for the Eagles because if you can allow Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham to key in on the short game, those RPOs, those pop passes and slants, it's going to go a long way in keeping this offense off balance. That means they don't have to flow as hard to the B-gap zone or the outside zone stuff. And looking at the football outsiders blocking metrics, pass blocking, they've been really solid. They're seventh ranked. In fact, they're second in pro football focus is pass blocking efficiency metric. And, you know, we already kind of touched on that. But in all the run blocking metrics, they're below average. We're talking adjusted line yards. That's how many yards the offensive line creates independent of the running back. We're talking power rank. We're talking stuff rank. And that stuff rank, that gauges the frequency of runs where the ball carrier is tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. So let's talk about why that's important. The Bears rank 27th in yards per carry. They're averaging 3.8 yards per carry in the last three games. They are top five in the amount of runs for zero or negative yards. Now, to clarify, that means they are taking a ton of running plays and they don't have a single yard attached to them. Jordan Howard is one of the main culprits in the league just looking at ball carriers. And if this defense is going to have to force those because to keep the Bears behind the sticks, you get them into third and long, this is where you can win. You're looking at a team that has only converted those third and long situations one in every four times. Not only that, you're looking at a quarterback in Mitch Trubisky that has a 69 quarterback rating in third and long situations. And let me tell you who has a higher quarterback rating in those situations. Blake Bortles. Ah, good old Blork battles. (laughs) What a hero. So that's where you get your sacks. That's where you get your turnovers. You force them to run downfield concepts like Ben was talking about, and you get to the quarterback. I mean, it sounds obvious, Mm -hmm. but it's even more obvious when you can manufacture when you can create, when you can conjure up a Blake Bortles equivalent on the other side of the ball. Isn't if you listen to the podcast for a while, you know that when I think a quarterback is bad, I like to mess around with his name to make him sound sillier. <laughs> and Mitchell Trubisky is not yet at that level. But if and when he reaches that level, he becomes Titchell Mubrisky, which is going to be great, right? I feel like that's destined to be, you know, Gain Blabbert, Blork Battles. These are all my favorite quarterbacks. If he gets to become Titchell Mubrisky, they're going to put another guy right there on the list. But Sark Manchez. It's a great time. Anyway, (laughs) why is the negative run rate going to be so high for a team where we're lauding their ability to package plays? Because typically when you talk about package plays, RPOs, inside zone, but with a bubble screen, you're talking about a team that's only going to run it when they have a positive box count. And they count box numbers. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And so why I think they're running against favorable boxes pretty often. Why are they struggling to get consistently positive yardage? I think there's two reasons. One, I think Jordan Howard just needs to kind of shut up and take the yardage when he can get it sometimes. To me, he does a little bit too much when he has too little. But number two, 
when you package plays and you have the potential to pass, you have to be worried about illegal offensive linemen downfield, offensive linemen who are going to run block, knowing that there's a chance of running plays coming behind them, and thereby getting upfield and drawing a penalty. Why is that important? Because Chicago, more than any other team I can remember, fold blocks every zone play they can. Whenever they get a 2-I or anything like that, they've got that Charlie call and they're pin-pulling, yeah. Oh, it's a Charlie call? Is that I don't, I've never heard a Charlie call before. I'm just being fancy so we can get some fun reviews on the podcast that ask him if we know routes, bro. Like that one time. If you haven't heard of Charlie call before, you now have to leave a five-star rating and a review. So... <laughs> What does a fold block look like? Well, usually on inside zone, there's the center and the guard. And let's say there's a guy right in the middle of them. The play is going to the right. Well, the center would be responsible for stepping into that guy and getting the block. The right guard might help him with a little chip, a little combo block, and he'll scoop up to the second level. Well, what you might have happen there is the right guard might get up into the second level too quickly, and thereby he draws the illegal man downfield penalty. So instead, what you're seeing a lot is a fold block. And if we're still sticking with the center right guard situation, it'd be called what we call a chug block. Center under guard, C under G, chug. If you've never heard chug, you now have to leave a five-star review. <laughs> well, I was feeling very, very uh, nominalized. I was feeling very reduced <laughs> by your by your lingo, so I had to come out with my own. That guard is going to down block. Remember, the play is going to the right. He already has leverage to the right of that. You know, we're talking about like a one technique right now, two eye technique who's between the center and the guard. So he's going to down block. He has the leverage and the center is going to come underneath him, pull underneath him and then climb up into the second level. Something you can do when you have tremendously athletic yes. James Daniels at left guard and, and Cody Whitehair, I think is playing some dang good football probably their best lineman right now yeah yeah and kyle long isn't the quickest dude on the face of the planet but he's a smart player and he's a, a veteran he knows how to pull off when he needs to pull off so that center comes underneath the right guard and so he spends more time behind the line of scrimmage less than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage than you would in a typical scoop block. And I think that's what gives Chicago a little bit more time to execute some of their RPOs and some of their bubble screens than perhaps you'd be called for penalties for otherwise. The thing is, when you have smart linebackers and safeties who can key on that and get downhill into it, you present the opportunity for TFLs. Holes get plugged very, very quickly. And so what you're what you're what you're gonna want to see is Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham free to play very fast into the line of scrimmage. That means safety is gonna be have to be wor- willing to come downhill into the second level to attack RPO ideas, which yeah. means your corners are gonna need to be able to play one on one coverage because they can't get burned deep. If they do, there's not as much help. So that's one. Two, the advantage of that fold block is how it makes it much harder for the defensive tackle to be disruptive. It's harder for him to beat that down block instead of beating the reach block from the center. So you need your defensive tackles to be able to step up and win and feel that block off. And you know who does that really well is Timmy Jernigan. He's done that really well since time in Baltimore. He feels his pressure key coming at him from the side, and he's able to swim over over top of that or break it down and get underneath it. It's a strength of his. Love to see Jernigan have a big game in that regard as well. not saying Fletcher Cox is bad there. Cox is good at everything. But that's specifically a strength of Jernigan's. Nada is a guy who could really get swallowed up by that because he lacks the quickness to get around that down block. So if if Chicago can can execute their fold blocks, their running game is going to stay on schedule. But if you're aggressive coming down into those folds, you let your linebackers play up into the line of scrimmage inside of the box, let the safeties and the, and the overhang defenders worry about the RPO game, you can go get your tackle for losses and get Chicago behind the sticks. Ben, you ready to go to predictions? Yeah, what are we predicting? We are predicting... The score here. So the line is, let's see, it's over under 41. The Eagles are six and a half point underdogs. What does that put us at? Like 23 to 17? Yeah, about. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll call it 23 to 17 for the purposes of this exercise. Ben, do you have over or under for the Bears offense scoring 23 points? I'm taking the over. They're at home. Woo! Uh, nope, I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under. If they get a lead, they're going to play ball control, and they're not going to try to keep racking up the score. Trubisky, first playoff game. Philadelphia defense just tends to play inspired ball when Nick Foles is the quarterback. They tend to take things up a second level. I, I, I that's a, It's a tricky one for me, but I'm going to go anecdotally. It stays under 23. I also don't think Philadelphia scored more than 17, even having not gotten deep into the Chicago defense yet. So we'll see how the final prediction sauces out. But uh, I'm going to go under 23 for the Bears. I'm going to go under as well. I think I think this is uh, I think this is a tough one. I don't think there's a whole lot of offense in this bad boy. I think it might slog down for a little bit and limit the chances to score for both teams. So I'm going to take the under on this one. Ben, do you have anything else, or would you like to say goodbye? to the gentle gentle listeners and let them know what we have coming up next here on bleeding green nation thank you as always for listening to the kiss and soul Act show here on bgn radio we do appreciate you swinging by uh it was a fun time trying to get this podcast recorded and i'm so sick and tired of sitting cross-legged in a tiny room and i'm ready to get out of here and stretch my legs this sucks we are enjoying tremendous couple weeks on BGN Radio, as we have shared with you guys, we have nearly 650 ratings, I think, now it is, which is stupendous because we were knocking on the door of 600 when the regular season was ending. So we've gotten like 50 in the past 10 days, which is bananas. Uh, yeah. If you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, if you go ahead and want to leave a rating and a review, only five-star ratings will work. That will continue to catapult us up the boards for sports and recreation podcasts on iTunes, which helps us out tremendously. We enjoyed, Mike, a record-setting week by like 10% right uh, of what our previous record was like it was just a tremendous day yeah and we also set a daily record as well and i feel like that's not going to be the last time that we say that this week which is awesome it's it's stellar and we're enjoying what may be potentially the final week of the season but hopefully is not uh tomorrow as we've said it is eagles offense against bears defense the other half of the matchup you should expect that dropping for you i believe around midday on Friday as we turn our final notes onto the Eagles and Bears game and give you our final predictions as well. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K, has been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. We will catch you tomorrow. Ben, what time on Friday are we going to record? You want to put it on air? You want to make a commitment? Are you seriously right now <laughs> trying to like buy a jury of my peers? Mike, you give me the time, and I will be there with bells on. Let's do it at 10 o'clock. You talking Eastern? Because I'll be back in Chicago. So that'd be 9 Central for me. Let's do it at 11 o'clock So because you, you're, you're going to be late if we put it at 10 and it's Central time and it's 9 o'clock for you. You're going to be, sorry, bro, I, slept, I overslept. I wake up before 9? What are you talking about? I'm trying to help you out here, which I don't necessarily have to do. I'm, I'm 11 taking the high road. Eastern. 10 central you locking that in we're locking that in so check the timeline at 11 o'clock 1101 you see a tweet from me you know what's going on <laughs> we all we got i'm about to intentionally we all we need ben i'm ending ruin the show. this audio i'm about to like put static all up in it and make it difficult for you to edit i'm pretty sure there is already static because <laughs> this is room has terrible acoustics and i'm like half bent over my microphone but whatever fly eagles fly Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. 
And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers.